Miles here. With the launch of Season 3, we here at Path of Night want to let you know about our membership tiers on Ko-Fi. We have finally mapped our tiers. This includes bonus audio content that won't be published for a while, or won't be published at all. The ability to give the crew a prompt that we will respond to and will become part of our episodes. Chances to hang out with us in real time as some of the cast chills with a movie on. And the ability to affect the story going forward. We plan to start uploading items in the next couple of weeks. More updates and information about these membership levels will be on our Ko-Fi page. We've been accepting donations for a while and want to thank those who have contributed. We appreciate it very much and we hope that this will help us grow and to deliver more stories and content for you. Miles out. Path of Night is an actual play Vampire the Masquerade podcast set in the world of darkness. We're all friends, we're here to have fun, but our story can include graphic violence, drug use, sexual content, and other mature themes. Content warnings can be found in the show notes. We talk at our table about safety, comfort, and consent, both as players and storytellers. We know what to expect, we're all excited to be here, and we want you to feel the same, so listener discretion is advised. Now, let's walk the path of night. Last time on Path of Night, Britta, Neil, Fester, Pendragon, and his allies arrived to a hotel to further evade threat. Separated, Neil and Fester talked feelings before Neil's sire arrived. Britta followed Pendragon into their shared room. Miles held his court as prince and assigned positions of importance. There, Miles and Johnny crushed an attempted Praxis seizure. Johnny's daughter called in his aid, and the Bruja went off to help the hunters with the werewolf problem. Wynne quarreled with the specter Mr. Perfect and exerted necromantic power to cause him to find a ferryman to help the Wraith Joey. All the while, strange events around the world began to escalate. Sire, you, um, you're here. I'm here. In this moment, I, it was you. It was, it was, it was you in New Haven. It was you in Boston. It was you in New York, wasn't it? He nods. Of course, child. Neil is simultaneously terrified and relieved and somewhere inside happy to see this man and somehow guilt-ridden at, like, disappointing him but also it's like when it's like when an abusive parent comes home and you want to make them happy but you're just internally you are gripped with terror at what they might do i am um, what why what happened where you've been gone for so long why you left I, you have learned so much, but you ask the wrong questions. He kneels down and picks up the broken pieces of the mug left behind from Fester's Rotrek. What you should be asking is why has the Herald come? Why have you seen the three Bodhisattva who make war? What is it that reigns over the skies of Sri Lanka? There is a red star in the sky. It is... It's the end of everything. It's coming. Child, it is the end of what? The world is a fragile thing. 
But it is not so finite. It is a herald of change. You have seen this change. You know that it comes. Why fear it? Why speak of it as though it is some symbol of a great wrongdoing that comes when the world is this unjust, broken mess? I... We have to... There's got to be a way to, to fix it or to to help those who deserve help or... You worry about fixing the solution. Gehenna is the death of sin. The redemption of Cain. The vengeance of Hakim. Hakim. It is the end times, yes. But the end of what? Gehenna is the end of the Gehenna of Cain. Yes. Right. It's the the end of vampires. Is that so unfair? So wrong? That these immortal things will not indeed last forever? I... I... I've been pretending like it doesn't bother me, like I know it's the end times, and so long as we are with the people we care about, then we can weather the end. I'm scared. I am. Pretending not to be, but I... If Hakim comes, if they rise, if this is the end, what are we to do with our final nights? I have taught you to be a shipu, a master of heaven and earth. What does it matter? What do you worry about for the final nights? Why worry about anything? Seek oneness. Purify yourself. And when Hakim's judgment comes, embrace it. Huh. This is it. This is the end. If that's what this is, why why travel halfway across the world just to... I don't... I worry about other trivial things. The truth is this. Roshulgi has awakened. Mm-hmm. The herald of Hakim sits beside the throne and waits for Hakim's return. And in the meantime, all contracts are terminated. All promises for mercy are unwoven. Even the curse set forth by the Tremere it's gone. is but a fly in the presence of a god. That's why Reese ran off. That's why... Yes. yes. Okay. How is Reese? Does he remember me? When the Domain thought that I was you, there was terror. Reese is stoic, but I... I think there's a reason. I, I don't know. You I'm going to guess he remembers you, yeah. Yes. yes. Yes, he... And it gave some satisfaction to know that he feared you as he fears me. Didn't it? I liked watching him be afraid and try and hide it. And Neil feels guilt at that feeling, but maybe not as much as he thinks he should. Alabot has begun war on the unworthy. All of the get of Cain, their heart's blood, it is to be reclaimed. Even those 
who have turned from Alamun out of fear of Rushulgi's justice. Even they are not safe. A schism. Yes. A parting of ways different. Okay, yeah. I... I have come to uplift you, child. To give you the choice that was given to me. You may be at the mercy of wolves. Or... You may choose oneness and begin the path of blood. I don't, um... I... I burn faster. Why would you make me do that if, if we were going to reclaim, if we were going to... What was... You divested yourself of weakness. The path of blood demands purity. Focus. Needless distractions need to be burned away. But, but you you made me. It's not like... Pendragon's guard in the bathroom. She awaits justice. I, I don't... I don't want to sever my ties. I don't want to... I... You think I didn't hear you? You were within conversational distance. Yeah, I said that. Did you not say <laughs> that before your little friend came, you were as nothing? An object to be set aside or used? Things are different now, though. They're different for now, child. But as you and I speak, Roman seeks his claws into your friend. And she craves it. She craves the opportunities for her own unlife. To move on and forget you. Why shouldn't you make the same choice? You want to be seen as a person, yet refuse to seize destiny for yourself. I'm not... I'm not strong enough for this. I, I can't. I can't. I... <laughs> If following that path, if following that road means I abandon others the way that you abandoned me, I, I, I can't do that to someone else. Abandon you? His eyes narrow. You left. You. I was Did alone. I, am I not here before you now? While you stand rejected by your so-called friend? Your quarry awaits for you in the bathroom. She waits to be judged. Do what you will. I will find you again soon enough. There's no hiding from you. And I expect you will be ready. He intones the power of the hunter's wind and vanishes. Neil, as soon as he's gone, just sits down on the floor for a minute amidst the broken glass and just thinks and then gets up and looks into the bathroom. Fredo, your hand is on the door. You feel the overwhelming sensation, the need to present yourself before the Prince of Hartford. And slowly, as if your hand was acting without care for your will, the door is opened and you're hit with the steam and heat of the running shower and you approach as you enter 
you can see the looming shape on the other side of the shower curtain. And you can kind of make out, you know, that it's Roman. His hair is down. You can see kind of like the the shadow created by his dark hair. And in the room kind of folded and tucked aside are the clothes that he'd worn to the gala with you. And you see this shape turn and you see it acknowledge your presence. And there's this brief moment of silence. And as he turns to acknowledge your presence, the hold that he has on your heart, what made you enter this space to present yourself, is relinquished. As Britta's mind becomes her own, there's another microsecond of a glance around the room. Every thought that was squashed down by the immediacy of the need to follow through with the summoning. Anything like, well, we're here hiding from being tracked by the Vicos. And just a quick check for some kind of, well, danger. Um, but there's already... A pretty readily apparent empty room, and the close. This is... I'm terrible with this. What's the layout of the room? The room is small, mm-hmm. but one, uh, the back end of it is a kind of a pretty decently large shower space. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like built into the wall and has a curtain that obscures the space within There's obviously, you know, the toilet, there's plenty of space, there's extra Mm -hmm. towels on shelves, there's a sink, a big old mirror behind the sink where as you kind of scan the room, you you catch your own reflection looking back at you. But beyond that, it's very, very simple. It's nice, like Mm -hmm. whoever, you know, put this together, it's good materials that are used, it's it's Mm -hmm. well-maintained, but it is very much a simple bathroom, the kind that you would expect in most hotel rooms. It's a small room, but Britta finds herself being very sure to keep track of the distance. I imagine she would have stopped pretty close to the door. And with the shower curtain obscuring things, she finds herself watching the shape behind it. There's not enough to get much of a hint, but she's knowing that there's not much of a hint from her end either. And... That space that feels, if she were human, I think she would be hearing her heartbeat in her own head. But as it is, there's just the beating of the shower uh, down on the floor. That, that It doesn't even really seem real for a second between the hot seam and she is trying to parse the situation and it is such a harsh transition that she finds herself deer in headlights. The bathroom curtain moves enough so that Roman is revealed. And he gives her this look that is akin to that of a wolf who's cornered a doe. And he holds a hand out and says to Britta, Assassin or no, I've decided that I want you. Come in. Looking into the bathroom, 
you see one of Roman Pendragon's soldiers. She is um, collapsed in the little tub shower space, and her body visibly has these blackened veins as though she has been poisoned with some of the deadliest the Asamites have to offer. Very, at a quick examination, you can see that you've actually experienced this yourself. Mm-hmm. Her stamina has been reduced to zero, and she is in torpor. Neil does not want to do this. And the parallels of the last time he made a hard choice and killed someone in a bathroom actively is on his mind as he's looking around. In the interest of honesty, there is a mechanical thing that has never come up on Neil's sheet. I don't know if it applies to this situation because he left, but in order to deny my sire anything, I have to make a check. It is the flaw old flame for his sire. Someone you once cared deeply for is now with the enemy. He still attempts to plan your sympathies for old time's sake while working against you. Unless you succeed on a contested manipulation plus expression role against your former friend, you cannot act against him unless the situation becomes life-threatening. I do not know if that applies or not, but in the interest of honesty, I wanted to put it out there. I will not be considering it working against him. Okay. Neil waits. The sun is coming. He can't be in this room much longer no matter what he does. Because Pendragon's going to wake up and come over and either find her dead or find her attacked and half the room burned down. It does look pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, it looks... This is not good. Uh, Solid assessment. And so not... Not knowing what to do, Neil, I guess, will fall back into old habits. And he will run. And you run. Britta finds herself looking to his hand before speedily looking back up to his face, already terrified that she's looked that low. Does it feel like an offer? What hints is she getting that it feels like an offer? Roll perception empathy. Mm. Your beast is perplexed Mm -hmm. because it recoils in fright of this elder. Mm Mm-hmm. But there's this curiosity that's happening. So I'm going to set your difficulty to eight. Yep, yep. Don't you have a spec in villains for this that might apply? I don't know. Last time I talked about it, I got shit about it. (laughs) The specialty in villains applies. (laughs) Yeah. Of course we're going to give you shit about it. As you should, honestly. I wish I could spend a willpower on this, but I super can't. I have one left. And I feel like I need to treasure that in this moment. (laughs) Your call. Two successes due to the remaining ton. Your spec serves you well. (laughs) I will tell you two things Mm. that you notice. The first is that the way Roman normally dresses, he presents himself as invincible. But without clothing, you can see that, of course, this guy is muscular and incredible shape has that ridiculous V going on with his hips but he has scars and you can kind of see make out where he's been stabbed, shot burns from gunpowder he has definitely experienced defeat and is not this 
impossible, unstoppable thing. But that can go one of two ways. The other thing you notice is that the extended hand and the way he's looking at you, you get the impression that he has drawn these lines for himself, that he would offer you his company, but seems unwilling to simply seize control of you in the same way that Upton did when he demanded you drink his blood and all of the various attempts of control that Rollins had leveraged on you. There is something about Roman that demands your submission, but is unwilling to co-opt it supernaturally. When Britta's gaze glances down to the offered hand then, and she starts taking stock of the various hints in play, she finds that gaze landing towards some of the scars, especially the ones that are more readily identifiable, um, and then especially the ones that aren't. And it's not that her hand comes up to meet his, but there's a twitch upwards. She doesn't cover it very well because she's too focused on the question that she can't help but to ask. I thought you told me to remember that I'm your prisoner. And there are many permutations to such a relationship, and he reaches for her hand. Britta dips her head down and holds her hand closer to herself. She can't help but to look up at his hand. There's a shyness to it an attempt at concealing a bite to the lower lip. And she says, I, um, not, not sure. Um, I, I'm confused. You were, just a few minutes ago, you were threatening to put me out into the sun, right? And... And I don't know if this is your way of telling me to convince you not to. This is my way of telling you to come in. Once he has her hand, you can kind of feel the heat from like the hot water that he's been in. And he pulls her hand so that she's sort of tugged that step closer. And he rests her hand against one of the scars that he noticed her looking at. In the summoning, did I manage to keep hold of the throw blanket, or is this complete vulnerability? That is entirely up to you. Then I imagine that even if it's not able to be a priority, it doesn't exactly get in the way of following the summoning to keep one hand present to hold that. Britta doesn't actually fight him moving her hand. Eyes looking up to his, eyes looking down to the scar. Does actually trace fingertips across it trying to understand it from your mortal life. Kindred do not scar. There's a nod. Britta was under that impression, but she wasn't really sure, especially with the various levels of combat that she's not even aware of. If he seems open to it, she'll try and move her hand to another, not moving lower on his body, very much 
exploring <laughs> the possibility. <laughs> but this is a rough transition from toxic masculinity to toxic by Britney Spears. And she's just <laughs> trying to figure out <laughs> where she's even well, out with that. You're Britney. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's not really a trust that I give easily. And I don't know what it would mean to you. I know it would... Um, Britta, at that moment, has a sudden awful realization. And her cheeks go pink due to the combination of her high humanity, blush of health. Uh, blushing is something that she unfortunately can do without her own volition and as she's talking leading down this trail of what these possibilities would mean to her um there is a few distinct hints as to what her brain might have gone to a flicker of confusion of questions unanswered and of embarrassment <laughs> so all her humanity gives her away he actually smiles at her a very disarming, perhaps well-practiced smile, where she can see his fangs. And with a bit of flair for drama, he starts to pull her into the shower. Something about the fangs being shown to her in this moment breaks her out of it. And she starts to shake her head and to pull back. He lets her go. She pulls the blanket closer around herself, still blushing, um... Still looking. She doesn't know where to look. Every Everywhere she looks, she feels incredibly self-conscious about. The floor almost seems safe until she realizes she, at some point she would have to look up, so she looks to the side. It's, the, there's, it's just, she's so nervous. As if it's not even what she really meant to say. The first thing that comes out is, I don't really have a lot of um, blood right now. And he says, kind of turning his attention to just kind of cleaning himself. Confusion is just piling on at this point. The fangs makes her think that he might want to use them. She is just quickly burying herself under the realization that she has no idea how this goes. She's got the mechanical understanding, but her amnesia feels heavy on her in this moment because... I mean, fuck, is there any flicker of if this even feels like a familiar thing for her? <laughs> Sometimes when she, there's in situations that she hasn't encountered in her, you know, months of memory, they sort of spark an understanding of whether or not <laughs> it's a reality for her in her past or no. Unfortunately for better, her mind is racing so fast <laughs> that... If there is some instinct or what have you, it is crushed by her pondering the many implications that are all possible. Uh, that's fair. If there is an instinct, it is conquered. <laughs> by, that's fucking real. By her racing mind. I ain't here to argue. Something about... Her nerves mounting and the self-consciousness mounting. It feels cavalier for him to just start showering again in the middle of what's a deeply vulnerable conversation for her. 
And yeah, out with it. Uh, she's too keyed up in her own emotions to not feel this strange sort of surge of protectiveness over herself. As everything in the past, it hasn't even been a couple days since, like, what? The, the Coterie killed the abbot, and then she got kidnapped, and then... She's uh, had a long week. Oh, well, no, I kind of want to run through it, right? Because, like, <laughs> there's the kidnapping, and then there's, like, the blood bond breaking, and that strange sense of, like, mourning of a lost love that she never really had. I mean, I don't want to, like, linger here too, too much, because, well, I, there's no use rehashing it. But at the same time... There's been trauma after trauma being piled on to her and revelation after revelation piled on to her. She has gotten closer to dangers she didn't even know about and dangers she had hoped to separate herself from than she has in a <laughs> in basically forever. So, out with it, she says, and I haven't done this before and I don't know if I want to and I'd rather know that I would want to and he kind of interjects mm. if you're not sure you don't want it and he turns the shower off another strong surge of confusion but with it even though there's just self-consciousness all around almost a strange reverse sense of rejection but also gratitude she doesn't actually mean to step closer when she does, uh, but she finds herself kind of taking that one step and like leaning her head up against the joining of the wall in the shower and um, looking at him while he turns off the shower. Eyes big, not actually shying away this time. The, the nervousness of like looking in his direction. She doesn't seem so scared to make implications now. And... Very sincerely, she actually says, thank you. He steps out of the shower, collecting a towel, and dries off without saying very much. There's a subtle nod somewhere in there. At the nod, Britta offers a very genuine smile. When he's ready, he steps out of the bathroom sees that preparations for some proofing the room have already been done. He finds the sofa that is in the small living space, lays down, closes his eyes, and waits for sunrise. Britta will take the moment to, if there's enough time, is, does it seem that she could take a quick shower? Yeah, she can. She'll do so, try to get the smell of smoke out of her hair, the remainder of the blood and grit. Once she's through, she walks back and out into the room, and almost looks like she wants to argue. But instead of arguing, she goes over to the bed and takes the nicest of the pillows. Well, really, there's usually in this kind of hotel, like a couple layers, like a sheet, a blanket, whatever. The one that she's had wrapped around herself is not the one she's giving over. She's the throw blanket she makes sure to place somewhere on offending. But she brings him like the thicker of the blankets and a nice pillow, and sets it down next to him as if she can't tell. I mean, she honestly can't. She doesn't really know if he can go to bed early or not. She doesn't want to disturb him if he's actually asleep. She doesn't really know how this works, but um, regardless figures that if she sets it down quietly next to him, he can make his own 
determinations. And taking a pillow and sheet from the bed, she actually finds a chair, if there's an armchair near the sofa. There is. And she chooses to curl up and make her own nest there. And morning comes with no one sleeping on the bed. (laughs) (laughs) After a series of long flights, you are brought to the Dallas Gentry. And there, in a hall, you find yourself waiting among a handful of Tremere who are waiting for the opportunity to speak with Counselor Melinda regarding the situation going on on the East Coast. You don't have all of the details, but you were made aware that a number of Chantries have been toppled by the combined forces of the Vicos and the Black Hand. As these Chantries were toppled, investigating apprentices discovered among the ruins a handful of projects that were undertaken by those Chantries that did not line up with reports that were being sent, being sent to on high. And now... There are eyes on New York, Boston, and all of the domains that reside between them. An hour passes before the counselor has the time to see you. But eventually, two agents of House Presidium bring you before a large, ornate mirror. Apprentice, be advised that you are not to have any rituals active during your time with the counselor. Are there any items of importance that you wish to relinquish at this time before entering? Ira looks down at himself, gives him a little nod, strips off the leather gloves on his hands that are missing the fingers for the forefinger and thumb, hands them over. He pulls his blue tie, it was sort of loose around his neck, off, hands that over, opens his long, like, sort of mid-thigh length blue overcoat, pulls out a pair of stakes, hands those over and looks at uh, the others who were asking for his things. Just, you know, obviously, he doesn't seem put off by the idea that he has to give this stuff up. Pretty standard, pretty normal. Almost looks a little embarrassed, like he didn't think quite fast enough to take these things and relinquish them over before being asked for them. But hands them over and looks at them and goes, that should be it. Yeah, that's it. I understand who I'm talking to, so... We appreciate your understanding. The man who was also, unsurprisingly, wearing like a like a royal blue tie accepts the occult paraphernalia and they kind of lock it in this tin box. One of them walks away, taking the contents of the box to go be logged for now. The other one taps on the mirror and the glass kind of gives this ripple and you get the impression that you are able to pass through it. Before passing through the mirror, he looks down and just sort of looks himself over and adjusts his clothes to be presentable, like using the mirror as an actual mirror before he goes and speaks with the counselor. Ira is 5'10-ish. He's got like a trim build that narrows towards the waist. He looks like he's maybe in his like late 20s, kind of has like a grad student, young, hot professor vibe. He's got dark skin and looks for Kindred relatively humane. His hair is black and he's got like a really precisely neat temp fade that goes up into these short twists on top. His features are classically handsome. He's got pronounced thick cheekbones, square jaw to the hyper-observant, which is most of Clan Tremere. The only marring of the symmetry of his face is a slightly crooked nose from when he looks like he got it broken at some point before his embrace. 
His eyes are big and brown, but kind of hidden behind a pair of classic black plastic and silver wire brow line glasses that really add to the impression that he should probably be in like a coffee shop or a library somewhere looking at a really thick book. He straightens the navy blue wool overcoat, goes to adjust his tie, but realizes he gave it away. So just sort of fixes his open collar with the white shirt he's got and resets instead of using like the pin that kept his tie neatly close to his chest, sort of readjusts it and puts it on his lapel. It's like a little gold pin with the symbol of Clan Tremere on it. Looks in the mirror and straightens his gray like flat front pants. Notices one of his shoes is untied and bends down and ties off the laces of a pair of Converse all-star Dennis Rodmans. Fixes them real fast. Uses his thumb to like fix a little bit of dirt on the white near his toes. Stands back up and straightens his back and then steps through the mirror. When you pass through the mirror, the large space that you enter has huge glass windows that show a gorgeous view of Dallas. And the room itself seems to have a rather intriguing collection of trinkets. For example, you see a number of things that seem to tie directly to Arthurian legend. She has a very large tapestry that kind of hangs and depicts the Holy Grail. There are segments of an old table that are kept under glass and protected with powerful wards. And she herself is dressed as the sort of, and the sort of dress that a noble woman from, you know, a thousand years ago or more might have worn in the British Isles. She herself has long, stunning red hair, some freckles and emerald green eyes. You quickly kind of get the impression that she is supernaturally gorgeous, a result of the, likely, the rumors of her having been a member of the Order of Hermes in life, like a thousands-year-old, maybe, sorceress before becoming a vampire. And the way light catches on her gives her this glimmer and shine that doesn't quite exist in the natural world. Now, amidst all of these, um, her research into these Arthurian legends, you also find what looks to be like some very, very advanced technology. And there is a collection of what has to be thousands of samples of blood collecting from all over the world that are gathered. And this image of what looks like DNA as you enter, she seems to be engaging in research on multiple items of interest all at once, able to divide her attention seamlessly among four, five, six matters of importance. And as she does, she pauses and looks towards you. Asta, I am pleased that you have arrived as quickly as you have. Time is of the essence. Of course, Counselor. I got the call. Obviously, when the Council calls, you drop everything and you come immediately. So... Here I am. How can I help? And he gives sort of like a like a nodding bow. It does not look particularly practiced. I was American. He's not great at, you know, the old formality, but it's kind of clear he's trying and at least is pretty well versed in the etiquette of the pyramid, if nothing else. She looks amused at your attempt. Worry not, Ira. Your Western charm will get you far in New England. Is that where I'm headed? It is. 
I have lost contact with a woman who is rather important to some ongoing research by the name of Raven. I believe that there is a complex conspiracy centered on Boston. This conspiracy involves house and clan. Uh-huh. You will be going under the guise of aid provided to a Mr. Ambrogino Giovanni, an ally of the clan. He can't quite help himself with giving like a little confused frown at the mention of the Giovanni. Ambrogino is an exceptionally talented necromancer and thaumaturge. We wish to keep him close, not because of his value as an ally, but his potential as an enemy. Understood. He is involved in a project known as the Red Sign. Are you familiar with it? No, but I guess it's not real surprising, considering how close to the chest so many want to keep their pet projects. It doesn't matter that the council is keeping close eyes on. He looks genuinely surprised that the council is keeping close eyes on a project like this. Like, most of the projects that people keep super secret are way beneath the notice of the council. Come. She gestures towards you and approaches what is like a wall of thousands of samples of blood. He follows precisely as he is meant to. There is a belief that in mapping the human genome, we can ascertain the true name of humanity. He sort of looks up, adjusts his glasses as he looks at the genome of blood that is presented before him. Now, this serves twofold, Apprentice. One, as it allow us to initiate thaumaturgical dominance over all of mankind, a means of safeguarding the Tremere through dark nights that are to come. But there is another purpose, an ulterior one, one that may prove of even greater value as we enter the final nights. We performed the ritual of usurpation as a means of escaping the doom that awaited us as magic failed. But now, the doom of the kindred looms. Through the ritual of the Red Sign, we might shed this curse. <laughs> Reattain our avatars and live life once again as we were meant to be, as kindred fade from existence, consumed by the wrath of their ancients. A sidestep for Gehenna. Yes. He nods in, like, scientific appreciation. Like, huh, I wonder if you could do that. But woe to any who challenged the curse of Cain. Those who have attempted in the past suffered, well, suffered very little. <laughs> So we must approach this carefully. By unlocking the deepest truths of mankind, our purpose, well, their purpose, on this planet, how they came to be, why, the deepest meanings, we can change our circumstance. And she looks to you. But that only works if the Sabbat don't burn everything down in the meantime. The carnage that they have unleashed has caused significant setbacks. He pulls his eyes away from the blood genome back over to her and gives her a nod. Yeah. This raven is part of that? Yes. It would appear that raven has acquired pages from the Ur Codex that are needed. You will find her and hope that she hasn't endangered herself in the process of doing whatever it is that she is doing. And you will see to it that the Camarilla is positioned to face the onslaught that is the Sabbat. How's the local regent going to take it with Aster showing up? 
the region need not know that Astors are showing up. It will simply be advised that the counselors directing those who were displaced by Sabat incursions to him. Mm. You will be sent with three other apprentices. As the four of you arrive, the presence of the other three will conceal your true purpose. You will know that you are an ally of Mr. Ambragino Giovanni, and that you are meeting him to exact the purposes associated with High Saturday. Okay. If you find yourself in need, you utilize this parchment, and she reaches out, and there is a parchment in her hand, and she offers it to you. He reaches out to take it and gives it a look. By sunset tomorrow evening, you will arrive. From there, you will meet with Mr. Ambragino Giovanni. He will introduce you to uh, a quartery of sorts. She kind of makes a little bit of a face at the mention of them. <laughs> he cocks an eyebrow at the face. Like, what would make Counselor Melinda show even that level of, like, I don't know, annoyance and disgust are too strong words, but, like... They can be rather dramatic and crass, but... Harry Potter and the audacity of this bitch. If Mr. Peterson's reports are to be believed, they are your best chance. Do we know anything about him? Or... <laughs> oh, you'll see. Perfect. Gather your things. Of course, she kind of waves her hand, and you find yourself sliding out of the room back through the mirror, and suddenly you're on the other side. He tries his best to give like a little exit bow as he is being like movemented through a mirror and out of the room. <laughs> Probably manages to finish it by the time he's fully outside next to the guys who let him in in the first place. The two like thug Tremere that are there, they are clearly war mages of House Presidium. They kind of give you a look as you're awkwardly shunted out of the mirror. Uh, we've got your container. Is there anything else you need, Apprentice? Ira stands up, straightens his coat back out, uh, and just quietly puts a hand out, sort of casually for them to put the container in it. Like, give me my stuff. The container's placed in your hand. Yeah, I need a phone, and I need plane tickets to New England. Ah, yes. Such has been prepared. One moment, please. One of them heads off, and moments later, you have a cell phone. Very nice, like, little flip phone type deal, and accompanying it plane ticket and uh a key if it doesn't obviously go to the little tin box they put everything in he just looks at them holds the key up in front of his face and like this what's this for you have a storage unit prepared for you in case you need privacy good uh where what city the key is to a place in new haven self self storage okay my travel buddies are they already there or is this a direct flight the rest are arriving from atlanta okay no, I got nothing else then. Okay. We'll uh, get a driver to take you out to the airport. Appreciate it. You'll stay at the hotel for tonight. When dawn comes, you flight, and then come nightfall, you should uh, have been there for hours. He sighs. Kind of tired of being on planes, particularly with like the weather recently, kind of delaying flights and shit. Okay. Thanks. He opens the tin box, takes his tie out, and like kind of puts it loosely back around his neck. Doesn't tighten it up, just kind of lets it hang loose with the top couple buttons of his shirt undone. Well, he doesn't bother saying anything else and just leaves. <laughs> you make your way to the airport, and before you know it, you're on your way to New Haven. Johnny, it's just you and Ramirez right now. In the distance, you can hear the sounds of people screaming, running. This place has been torn up. Something big came through. Shoved cars out of the way. 
raked massive claws along cobblestone, tearing it. You can almost smell the scent of blood and something, something on the prowl. The hairs on the back of your neck stand. You can feel the presence of a predator. It's nighttime, and so the lights going out in the area kind of allow for long shadows to be cast by what few sources of illumination there are. Johnny grits his teeth and spends a few seconds extra looking at the pools of shadow. The the fact that a, a werewolf is on the loose causing a rampage seems almost a bit too convenient, and that oily feeling of obtenebration keeps on brushing the hairs in the back of his neck. But he pushes that fear to the back and focuses on trying to figure out where this werewolf is and how the hell he's going to do anything about it. Ramirez, where's the rest of your group? Um, bad news, man. Some of us scattered. Um, this thing, it... What was your plan here? Well, we came in to find out what was going on with the screaming. Someone was panicking. There was this guy. He was sweating, confused. Um, and then we saw it. Some of us broke and ran. The, uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to tell you this, but like, we've got this sight and it shows us, it shows us what's really going on with people, the things that they don't share. Sometimes it's that, you know, they're the pawn in someone else's game. Sometimes they're like a full on, uh, excuse my French monster. You can see things. Yeah. But more importantly, the sight protects us. It shows us what's out there, but also keeps us from losing our minds at the, 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 he kind of quiets down, realizing he's getting louder from losing our minds because of the truth. What truth? That monsters are real. And to look this wolf man in the eye, it just sends something deep, wild. It's like, you know, it's like how some people instinctively are afraid of, like, snakes or, or, deep water, you know, the things that would have killed you, you know, during the Stone Age or whatever, but like this, this is, it's like, it's like that. It's this ingrained need to get the fuck away from it. We still feel it, but the sight lets us keep control. I don't think all of us had it ready at the, at the time, and they lost their cool. And all of you guys can see things like this. When, when did that start? A little while back, uh, we all, uh, he kind of like looks around just to make sure you guys aren't immediately in danger. It all started in this past year or so with, with that crazy mansion. Sometimes, you know, people see weird things and whatever it is that gives us the sight warns us that something's wrong. Johnny kind of frowns at all this information. I know, I know you met Sheila bartender that had asked for your help on something uh her eyes are open to the truth too you know there's a few of us a few of us that had our eyes open because of things that you and your friends did and that's not that's not a, a dig it's just it's the know, truth there's just some parallels hmm. things coming home to roost i guess yeah I'd offer that pizza, kind of hoping we could all get along. What pizza? It's a fucking it's a New Haven garbage pizza, my friend. A classic. 
Johnny not really understanding what the whole because he wasn't around for the pizza bit. So no, no, yeah, so does not really understand why why New Haven <laughs> trash pizza is coming into the pl- play. Uh, Johnny Ramirez kind of keeps stalking down the street towards the sounds of uh, the the few sounds we get. I think this this whole conversation has been kind of being you know spoken while they're moving from little low wall to little you know pole and mailbox that they can kind of like you know scrabble for some cover and just you know so that they're not just walking blindly in the street as you get far enough you can see what looks like this sedan that had one of its doors torn completely off and sitting in that now very accessible passenger seat is your daughter and she's got her right arm in a sling and she's pretty bloodied up next to her kind of honestly taking care of her is crystal a person you've heard about vaguely seen that one time you guys were interacting with the hunters but she is joey's mom and joey's mom is currently picking glass i actually met her at her house at the front door yes she told me to get the fuck off her lawn (laughs) yep well now you know why because she saw you for what you were. At this point, Johnny just kind of breaks cover and starts running towards them. Jessica! Dad? The woman that is accompanying Jessica, she fucking brandishes this switchblade. And as you get close, you can actually feel heat coming from the knife. And the knife glows like a glowing like ember of coal. And Jessica kind of like pushes her arm with, you know, her free hand. He's like, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. I called him. He's here to help. Johnny kind of looks down at the switch blade. His upper lip kind of curls a little bit. You going to do something with that? And you're cut off as Jessica leaps onto you, an arm around you, seemingly not caring very much about just how incredibly cold you are to the touch. And she just kind of squeezes tight. You can feel the heat of the tears that are coming out of her eyes as her face is kind of like pressed against your chest. Johnny just stands kind of stunned for a second and then wraps his arms tightly around her and just hugs her. Dad, we're scared and we can't let this thing kill these people. We have to stop it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Give me a second. Here, I just, um... Yeah, yeah. I imagine Johnny's probably just weeping blood from his eyes. How do we fight these things? In my experience, he kind of releases his bear hug and gently kind of holds her by the shoulders. Uh, Ramirez actually approaches Crystal and he hugs her. And kind of gives her this tender kiss and is like, hey, it's all right. He's on our team. The, my experience, the only thing that really hurts these things is silver. He uh, opens up his jacket and shows the revolver. I have six silver bullets in this thing. Other than that, my recommendation would be to run. I've seen one of these things tear apart six of my kind in as many seconds. And that's saying something, too, because we're not easy to kill. 
So, where's the rest of your group? Suarez and Sheila. Sheila ran. Suarez went after her. Uh, last thing we heard, uh, there was, you know, the howls coming from around where Suarez had headed off to. Crystal looks to Ramirez. Either Suarez is holding on or he's, you know. Did you see this werewolf before it changed? They kind of look between each other and Crystal speaks up and nods. Yeah, why? Is it a blonde man? Grang, scarred up, but yeah. He was missing fingers. She kind of crosses her arms. Guy looked like a mess. Kept saying something. Eater of souls, eater of souls. Eater of souls. I have no idea what that means. Unfortunately, I'm the wrong person to be asking about that kind of shit. All right. I think our best bet is to try and find your friends, regroup, and then maybe decide whether or not we want to try and fight this thing. Jessica gives a nod. Uh, she has not released you from her, like, one-armed grasp. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, I think he's being influenced by something. I got these flashes of insight. Um, there's something happening everywhere. And I think he's infected by it. I saw, um, I saw this, this shadow from the east. A shadow? A shadow. Johnny's hair is standing up on the back of his neck. Like, um... Was it oily, impenetrable blackness? No, no, no. It wasn't it wasn't really there. It was like it was like something tall, so tall, so terrible, looming over the whole world, and cast a shadow from continents away. And that oppressive looming presence over the wolf man is what set him off. Like like the Wolfman could feel that this, this thing, and she kind of like tries to collect her thoughts. Uh, at this point, Ramirez speaks, hey, it's all right. Just say what you can. And as it comes to you, we can, we can get to it. And she nods. The world is undergoing a crisis. And Johnny's brow was furrowed in confusion and frustration. Like he's just been like he, hearing that, that the shadow was not the uptenebration he feared it was, but something else. And that all of the, this about eater of souls, the fact that he is so far out of his depth was kind of easy to see on, on his, his face. But as she starts to talk about the end of the world, a flash of recognition kind of comes to his uh, face because he's, he has another friend who's always babbling on about this kind of stuff. And the fact that he is out of depth in both places is some kind of shimmer of pattern that Johnny can grip. <laughs> grip. Dad, three bodhisattvas. What does that mean to you? Three bodhisattvas? Fighting it. Fighting a storm. A storm. Three bodhisattvas, a storm. You know, none of that makes any goddamn sense to me, but I know someone who, who really probably needs to talk to you and hear this. And he went to a fucking party. 
fucking wish Neil was here. Almost immediately after saying that, a cab pulls up and a tall, dark-haired man in, like, a nice suit, but, like, some of the seams are ripping. He looks like he has had a really bad night. Who, Johnny, you would recognize as the keeper of Elysium, Edmund Dashwood, steps out of the car. Something about the way that Dashwood is holding it, like, Dashwood is usually very, like, upright, rigid posture, like, very put together. He looks disheveled, he looks haggard, and his posture is a little bit more hunched, like, shoulders rolled forward. Like, he's a, like, he's uncomfortable with his height. And he just stumbles out and looks directly at you, wide-eyed and mad. Johnny immediately kind of puts uh, Jessica behind him and interposes himself in between. Johnny, Johnny. Dashwood? Uh, no, 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 no. It's 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 me. It's it's Neil. I, I'm I'm sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry. Neil, I I didn't. What What's, the fuck is going on? Uh, look, you, you, I'm. Things are weird right now. Things are weird, and I'm sorry, Johnny. I'm, I'm really sorry. Johnny kind of looks back at the rest of the uh, people he's with just to see what their reaction is. The woman who had the burning knife starts to slowly approach Edmund, not necessarily ready to attack just yet, but you're definitely getting the impression that whatever she sees about this guy is extremely alarming to her. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Chill it, chill it. Somehow I think this is my friend Neil. You, you're here. I, 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 I think I, I think I heard you. I think I, what's, what's been going on? I've, I've missed you, man. I, it's, you know. Johnny slowly kind of releases Jessica and takes a few cautious steps towards Dashwood. Neil. Yeah. I didn't want to be right. I, I didn't want any of this to be right, but. He kind of looks at the hunched posture. Dad, this guy looks like dozens of people. He gives a, a look back at Jessica with an arched eyebrow. Oh, I... So your daughter, he, is that? He looks back at Neil, Dashwood, whatever it is in front of him, and kind of puts a hand on his shoulder. Dashwood, like, raises a hand and gives, like, when he asks, is that your daughter, like, raises his hand and gives a little awkward, like, socially awkward wave that is very, very Neil, Neil behavior. Good God, man. He kind of grabs him by the head. I'm so sorry. It's been a weird couple of days. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is all like some kind of bad dream. I don't know why everything's co coming together like this. What my, the fuck's going on around here? What's, why am I... My daughter and her, her companions have been getting visions. I'm so sorry. I think she's been seeing a lot more than the rest of them, though. He, he, he gives her kind of a hard look. He looks over at Jessica... Uh, just with like raw sympathy on his face like he just looks empathetically sad like yeah i've been here who are the three bodhisattvas i, I don't know i'm not sure but they're fighting the storm right they're, it's the three they have the eyes the the third eye you see like like pearls shining in their heads fast yeah, yeah yeah that's it's the thing that johnny remember when i kind of freaked out a while ago it's around new year's maybe a little bit after and... i can we got to take this conversation somewhere a little bit safer. There's a werewolf on the prowl. Jesus Christ. And, it's, and whatever's been going on is making it crazy. I don't know how reliable I'm going to be right now, but I... Is this actually Dashwood's body? Is it? He drops the second he looks. <sighs> Dashwood's just unconscious on... Is he in torpor? Is he unconscious? What? I... Mr. Dashwood drops to the ground, falling into torpor. Johnny just goes, Fuck. <laughs> 
Um, he scoops up Dashwood. We have to find somewhere safe to hide him. So, Ramirez starts approaching the cab that this weird guy arrived in, and he checks the front side. Look, Johnny Ramirez, I think we're first name basis at this point. Yeah. Uh, the driver of this car is unconscious. Well, Ramirez um, isn't your first name, is it? Uh, for now, we should let that be. Um, <laughs> then you can call me Mr. Saxon. All right, fine, Mr. Saxon. My point is, the driver is out cold. The car is running. I can get people out. Who needs to go? All right. Um, I, you need to get Dashwood out. I don't know what kind of state he's going to be if he wakes up. So let's put him in the trunk. Uh, the woman who had brandished the knife kind of gives a smirk and a nod at the idea of mistreating a disgusting vampire and she just grabs him by the arm and starts dragging him towards the taxi if, if you don't mind just a, a little bit of nah, he kind of waves it off <laughs> Jessica I think you should also get out of here what dad my team's here yeah and you're in no condition to fight Something that you need to learn about working with a team is that the people that actually do the punching, and they're, they're in the front, and you stay safe in the back. Oh, so now you're going to do parenting? This isn't parenting. This is just a, uh, a lesson about how to deal with werewolves. I actually have a little bit more experience than you on this. He grins she, at her. She goes to, like, argue about a million things at once, and Ramirez <laughs> is like, hey, uh, we're going to need his attention on one thing, right? And she, like, nods, and quietly makes her way to the car uh she stops and reaches into her jacket and pulls out a flare gun and she heads over to ramirez and hands him the flare gun and if she's like just in case we run into any rots or vamps that go crazy and he nods and then clearly frustrated she makes her way to the cab and she gets into the back seat and you can kind of tell that Blood loss and exhaustion are really kind of starting to set in. And turns out she gave Ramirez that weapon because she probably wasn't going to be able to do much fighting anyways. Before she actually gets into the backseat, Johnny goes over and grabs her and hugs her again. Thanks for coming, Dad. Thank you for giving me a chance. He kisses her on top of the, f on top of the head. We'll talk, right? Oh, yeah. Just make it back so we can. I promise. If Dashwood in the back does wake up, and it's and my friend Neil is still in there, talk with him about what's going on. I will. If it's not, and it's Dashwood and he's frenzying, please leave the the, uh, the taxi somewhere out of the sunlight, and let me know where it is so I can take care of him. Ramirez taps the cab. Hey, Johnny, don't you worry. Uh, Mr. Saxon, uh, I'll make sure he's taken care of. Johnny nods. And he kind of turns back. So, as you start heading back, just that, you know, 10 feet that you had wandered onto the street, there is this booming howl. And you can see that among those mortals who remain, those who are gifted with this strange sight that they talked about, even with the sight, you can see the shivers that run up their spines. You can sense their fear. From where that howl had happened, there's the very loud crunch of a car and the yelp of a wounded man. Can I use Iron Heart on mortal companions, specifically hunters? 
Uh, <laughs> yes, you can. There is not. I, I am not aware of a restriction on it. And this is kind of. Let's just fucking do it. Yeah, it's awesome. Cool. <laughs> Johnny will spend a. It's a willpower, right? Yes. Is it per companion or is it, it is per? He spends a point of willpower on Crystal. At this point, it's just the two of you. And Crystal gives you a look. That was Suarez. We got to go. All right. He gives her kind of, he gives her kind of a devil may care smile and a steel gaze. Let's go hunting. And the Avenger and the Bruja <laughs> go yeah. rushing down the block headed towards the sound of the raging lupine. When you stalk New Haven streets searching for Kabir, but every time you smell his cologne or track his beast, it seems to lead you in different directions that ultimately converge right back where you started. Your senses are being manipulated. Even with spirit tracking, it's as though you're blind. As hours of this go by, you find yourself right back at the motel with the news playing, talking about this massive storm in the east and strange occurrences being reported all over the place. Back in the hotel room, Wynne just kind of slumps on the bed. It's probably rained at some point while she was out. Doesn't seem to bother her, but she's definitely a little soaked. She's glad she left her books, most of them, back in the room when she went out searching. She hasn't puzzled out yet or hasn't had the time to sit and puzzle out why why reality would shunt to the side. But she knows it has something to do with him. And by that logic, she knows Kabir. She knows he's a trickster, and she knows that if he wanted to get her attention and wanted her to find him, she would. And so whatever's going on, either his own reality is so distorted he doesn't know where she is or doesn't know that she can't see him, or he feels like this is something he needs to do on his own. And she just kind of stares blankly at the TV for a minute before she just, in frustration, just levels a fist and punches it off the stand, letting it crash to the floor. The room becomes eerily silent after that, as if the TV was your only company. She kind of sits further on the bed, tucks her knees up, puts her head on it, and just kind of thinks. Time's been weird, but she does remember recently she's been rereading the Aeneid. The Aeneid rings true to win because... The author was was said to have sat down in the morning with six words on a page and had three by the end of the day because he was so determined to find the right word and to be so efficient because brevity means you're more likely to survive. And the Aeneid is the story of facing your worst days and losing everything and continuing to try for something after. And she remembers a particular line, something along the lines of, one day even these things would be good to remember. And she puts some measure of resilience in the idea that there will be an after. And so with that, she doesn't allow herself to dwell so much. And she pulls her phone out of her pocket. She had made a call to Ambergino. She neglected to let Miles know, but her mind was kind of split. But it would probably be good, one, to get her mind off not being able to find Kabir, and two, to check in with Miles and make sure he's not dead in a gutter somewhere. Because 
what else would he need her for? And so she's figured out at this point how to save phone numbers, have a favorites short list, and she just brings up his number. Miles here. Wow. That... Any change? Um, yeah, lots. Um, Kabir is missing. I can't find him. I can't find his beast. Some part of me thinks he's still here in front of me and doesn't want me to see him. Some part of me thinks he's here in front of me. I can't see him and that's not his choice. So um, I did... I did want to get back to you on um, on uh, Ambergino. I did make contact with him. Good. Mr. Giovanni seems like someone we shouldn't have upset in our domain. No. Well, you know about uh, the promise, right? No. Okay. Long story short, the what he I asked him at some point if he was going to need hospitality. And he explained to me a little bit about that. Basically, there was this promise between the Giovanni and the Camarilla. Uh, we don't fuck with their shit. They don't fuck with ours. We honor one each one another's sovereignty, which includes we kind of auto have hospitality, but we shouldn't take advantage of that. I think he has auto hospitality, which he has made me clear of after I offered to him in court. So, <laughs> you've thanks. Been, you, well, if you'd asked. <laughs> I, yes, I knew the rent, the, uh, I knew that Ambergino Giovanni was showing up in my court that day, or before then, and I would have asked you. I, I didn't have that information. He just showed up. So we that is to say we don't have any way of being precognizant, and therefore we still haven't heard from Neil. Well, no, I haven't heard anything. Yeah, me neither. Um, anyway, um, he's going to be bringing in an ally that is Camarilla and needs you to meet. I don't know why he didn't tell you that, but I think part of it is he's looking to see exactly how many hoops you're willing to jump through. If he wants somebody to have hospitality here, I don't have a problem with it as long as he doesn't make it a problem. Well, I think he wants, it's his way of finding out whether it's a problem. I'd rather know the weird people being introduced into my court anyways. Well, that may also be his thought is that he wants to introduce you to this weird portion before he just shows up. Excellent, then. That sounds like he's a very good, upstanding Giovanni. I mean, I think he's the Giovanni, but... Okay, well, I don't know enough about their clan to say one way or another. They haven't <laughs> tried to kill me recently. I mean, that's fair. Anyways, you probably should be around court, since you are now a representative of court. Oh, fuck me running, I am, aren't I? I'm not talking about Primogen. Um... Sheriff, I'm gonna need you to come here so we can discuss oh, some things. Oh, fuck you! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my. Mm, mm, mm. I see why you wanted me to call. Mm. I needed you to call so that Mr. Giovanni was not upset. <laughs> that that was the most pressing issue. I can handle some of the other things. You can handle me coming unhinged at you after you tell me I'm the fucking sheriff? <laughs> I mean, I'd rather you be unhinged to people I need you to be unhinged at. I'm least. obviously going to be unhinged to those people, Miles. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Also, I didn't want to bother you with everything developing with the Kabir situation. Okay, that I appreciate. How are things on the home front? Um, I mean, we had an attempt at Praxis already. I imagine that went well. Well, not for the other party, no. Well, I don't care if things go well for them. I, yeah. Johnny was probably with you, and yeah. you're not a slouch. Well, thank you. But yes, it's been handled. Minimal damage to anything except my office. I feel like your office has seen worse. Mm, I have no idea what Rollins did in there. I assume everything he did is worse. (laughs) 
Do you know what it's like to try to get brain matter off a ceiling? Ugh. Short answer, no, but I also... how Who does do the cleaning in an Elysium? We have people for that. Yeah, how do... How do you find people who just clean brain matter and don't ask questions? They're usually called ghouls. Yeah, that's super fair. Chaps chaps would definitely do that if you held him up. Okay, that's not really what I was talking about. Um, anyways, why don't you uh, put yourself in something else? Because I imagine you have not changed much in the last couple of days. I, that it would not be inaccurate. And show up at court and we can see Mr. Giovanni and his weird friend. Okay. Um, yeah, give me a few minutes to tidy up here. I'll be there as soon as I can. All right. See you soon. All righty. When, as you head for the door of the motel, you hear a tapping at the little hotel window, like fingernails on glass. She brushes aside the curtain. As you brush the curtain aside, you are confronted with what has to be more than a dozen kindred, all of them bearing fangs, all of them with a hungry glint in their eyes for the scent of something that they've, that's drawn them to the motel room. And then the window and the bathroom smashes open and more kindred start crawling into the the motel room. Those outside start banging on the glass, there's banging on the door. There's got to be more than two dozen kindred here. Well, shit. Initiative. Yep. (laughs) Eight. They're going on 16. Hunger. Such hunger. They call out in unison as they rush you. And they will attack. With one success, you suffer a level of lethal damage as they start ripping into your flesh and pulling you apart. Okay, I'm going to roll to soak that. No. You take one level of lethal damage. Your turn. Ravana. So hungry, Ravana. Wind starts spending blood. How much blood are you spending? She can spend one a turn. As Wind begins to spend the blood, parts of her begin to departicleize from her, I guess. And she begins to dissolve into a very fine mist. We go to next round and they continue to attack. That is seven levels of unsuitable lethal. Ugh. You focus on shifting, but their attacks, they're going right through the fortitude that you use to defend yourself. And as they slam you to the ground, overrunning you 15, 18, 20 to 1, you black out. Miles. And Regino Giovanni arrives to your office, and at his side is a man that you do not recognize. Ira nods, extends a hand in that sort of casual way, like, hey, here's my hand for a handshake, but also we're vampires and you're the prince, so if you don't want to, I'm not going to take any offense. There's definitely no handshaking. Uh, He looks over at Mr. Giovanni. Mr. Giovanni, I heard you have a guest. Your grace, bring with me a member of the Tremere. He is going to be helping with some of the ongoing projects and... Well, I suppose this is a matter for your courts. He looks between the two of you and steps aside. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Your Grace. Uh, I was hoping I could have hospitality for the time. I do not see a problem with that. As long as nothing untoward becomes of it, then 
I see no problem. I will grant you hospitality for your stay in New Haven. Thank you. I uh, plan on talking to the regent. Obviously, he knows I'm coming, but I wanted to, with Mr. Giovanni, present myself before the prince, before getting settled. It is odd that you're not here with Reese. The regent's a busy man. He was notified I was coming, but, you know, lots of stuff going on. If I can help at all in the court in any way, let me know. Sorry, getting a little ahead of myself. My name's Ira. It's a pleasure to meet you. His eyes kind of flick over to the ashtray that Johnny used before. Is uh, it okay smoking here? Yeah, that should be fine. Thank you, Grace. He uh, pulls a pack of Morley's out of, like, the inner pocket of his coat, flicks it open so one pops out. And offers it to you. No, thank you. Sticks it in his in between his lips. So what kind of projects are going in on in and around New Haven? Well, you know, I heard there's a lot of displaced princes in the area, and that's also true of a lot of chantries up and down the East Coast. So some of us are in need of new places to stay. So not only are we a host to princes without homes currently, but some Tremere also whole East Coast is either dead or homeless, thanks to the Sabbat. So I'm hoping that we can kind of stop some of that from happening further up the chain. That would be good. Sir, anything you're in particular aware of that we should be forewarned of? Forewarned of? I mean, I think everybody knows what's coming with the Sabbat at this point, right? I just mean anything that I would not normally be aware of. Don't think so. Other than uh, I know Mr. Giovanni, and he looks over at Ambergino. You see him, his eyebrow twitches, and he looks over his shoulder, off in some distant direction. Looking for some help. Just arcane study. I'm actually, admittedly, kind of looking forward to... I heard Yale's got a rare book collection. So, admittedly, a little little excited to be in the area. Might, I mean, if I can swing it, take a trip up to Boston... MIT, I'm sort of like interested in electrochemistry and that kind of stuff, that sort of thing. But that's, you know, personal projects and things. That's not really... The area between here and Boston is very dangerous. Yeah, that's why I said if I could swing it, I'm not... I concur. ...expecting nothing. There's been the use of powerful disciplines. Your friend Wynne is in danger. Yeah, she was supposed to be here. She is fading. She a member of your coterie? Yes. You know how to find her? Uh, or where she was staying, at least? Yes, I know where she was. If you do not make it in time, we will need to find a new contact. Your Grace, I'd be happy to help out here. Hoping to speak to uh, the other associate of Mr. Giovanni's anyways. Well, this would be a good time as any. It seems like we need to move. I, I don't have a car. All right, let's go. Ambrogino doesn't leave. He seems comfortable just watching the two of you go. As you start to leave, however... Uh, he reaches into his coat pocket and he pulls out an amulet that kind of hangs on this this sturdy like gold chain. And he hands it to the Tremere Ira. Carry this with you. It will see what you see and it will allow me to aid you. Ira, having been told already he needs to work with Ambergino, just sort of puts it around his neck on the chain so it hangs over just like mid-chest facing outward and goes... Well, hopefully we're not too late, Mr. Giovanni. Your grace? Yeah, keep up. Path of Night is a Vampire the Masquerade podcast set in the world of darkness. Britta Ashcroft, the Toreador, was played by Rebecca Segelfest. Johnny Saxon, the Bruja, was played by Garrett Gabby. 
Miles Davenport the Venture was played by Tim Davis. Neil Foster the Malkavian was played by Rob Muirhead. Wynn Cabot the Gangrel was played by Erica Webb. Your storyteller was Lex Lopez. Recording by Rebecca Stagelfest. This episode edited by Rob Muirhead. The music used in this episode was composed for Path of Night by Brian Metolius. Find him online at brianmetolius.com. Path of Night uses the 20th anniversary edition of Vampire the Masquerade with a few limited house rules. Vampire the Masquerade and the World of Darkness are owned by Paradox Interactive. Make sure to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We can be found on YouTube at youtube.com slash at pathofnight. You can help support the show on coffee.com slash pathofnight. Find us on twitter.com slash pathofnightpod, on facebook.com slash pathofnightpodcasts, or email us at pathofnightpodcasts at gmail.com. See you next time, Kindred. Very pleased that your counselor's like, there's a coterie. I'm telling you absolutely nothing about them. <laughs> I've heard about this coterie, and I've heard the straight annoying. up like, I've heard some things. <laughs> <laughs> Have pretty, fun, buddy. They're pretty famous now. <laughs> Just full-on fucking Jack Sparrow, like, so you, but you have but heard you of have me. But you have heard of me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's a good way to win some points. Yeah. <laughs> Heard about you in Dallas. Oh, right. Bring this guy in. <laughs> this is the best premiere we've met so far. I was this close to explaining that Johnny was the leader. So you go in and just say the wrong thing. But I don't think you could recover in Miles' eyes if I did that. Kill him. <laughs> Blood hunt. Well, he laid a hand on me metaphorically, so what do we do about that? <laughs> You don't have hospitality here. Yep. Scourge, prove yourself. <laughs> uh, when are we going to need you to dunk on this motherfucker? <laughs> you got it. <laughs> I, is it my birthday? <laughs> the shoes are a bit confusing, but the rest of it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is some Rob Deep lore. Huh? That specific pair of shoes is some Rob Deep Cut lore. From when I was fucking 13, and I had a pair of what I was considered the coolest goddamn shoes in the fucking universe. They're very cool. They're going for 500 bucks on eBay right now. Yeah. I, I figured they were different from Chuck Taylor, so I went and looked. They are different from Chuck Taylor. Like, How did you just know that? <laughs> Costume or bitch. I'm just like, are you a shoe head and we never knew? Because you no, seem I fucking, like it. I was explaining no. my whole history with those shoes to Lex in the car, and I was like, I'm going to use this fucking cool character to validate my 13 year old self. <laughs> Rob felt inspired. <laughs>